0: And we're, uh, so carrying on our um, sermon series in Philippians, Um, we're in Philippians 3 today and uh, so in the church Bibles that's page 1180, 1180 and it's Philippians 3 uh, verses 12 to 21. And I'll use the glasses that I've placed carefully on the top of my head so that I can see a little bit easier. Okay, not that we have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then, who are mature, should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. Just as you you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For, as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, as we... As we come to your word this morning, we long to meet with you in these pages. This isn't just an intellectual exercise, Lord. We long for you. We need you. So Lord, would you minister by the power of your Holy Spirit this morning? Give us hearts and minds that are open and ready to receive all that you would want to say to us. Bring challenge where that's what's needed. Bring comfort where that's what's needed and encouragement. Stir us, Lord, I pray, and have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Well, direction is so important, isn't it? What is it that you are aiming for? Sometimes we seek direction from the Bible, don't we? Earlier this year, I was, doing, uh, I was driving, doing a journey that I wasn't familiar with, and so I had my sat-nav on as I was driving, and I was also listening to a podcast, uh, well, an episode of Bible Live, actually. Uh, so Mike was introducing the topic, uh, and then he said something like, Our reading today is taken from Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 55, and it says in a hundred yards, take the next left. (laughs) What? Actually, normally direction from the Bible doesn't come back quite that clearly, does it? Um, That was my sat-nav rather than the Bible giving me direction. But perhaps our reading today can give us some insight about our direction. We have to be intentional about direction, don't we? Otherwise, it impacts our journey or even our destination so let me ask you this question what's the direction of your inner life what's the direction of your inner life I'm not talking about what's your to-do list what are your life goals I'm going to achieve this qualification or I'm going to get that house or that job not those things what's happening Internally, what's the direction of your inner life? I would suggest that the direction has something to do with the longing of our heart. Our longings often act like our inner satnav directing our choices. So, what is the longing of your heart? What's your heart's cry? Paul's inner life certainly has direction, doesn't it? And as we consider this passage, I'd like us to hold this question in mind. What is the direction of my inner life? What's the longing of my heart? And to give us some um, structure today, we're going to take three steps. We're going to think about what's been done, what's begun, and what's to come. So what's what's been done what's begun what's to come so we'll start off with what's been done we read in the passage that Paul is forgetting what's behind and we can find some reassurance in that can't you if your life is anything like my life there's plenty of things I want to leave in the past and not think about them anymore Paul has been involved in persecuting the early church and I'm sure that he's keen to forget about those things and it is amazing isn't it that we have the opportunity to ask God for his forgiveness and when we genuinely ask for that forgiveness that he's faithful to his promise that he cleanses and restores us and in fact that's what we're part of what we celebrate in baptism isn't it that death to the old life and, and the new life coming. But I'm not sure that this is all Paul is talking about when he's talking about forgetting what is behind. If you remember, last week we were thinking about how Paul had um, previously had been trusting in his own efforts to gain righteousness, had not he? He's following the rules, um, even his lineage My sense is that what Paul is trying to forget here is anything he might be tempted to trust in, to justify himself, to qualify himself, besides Christ. He's very clear in this passage, isn't it? It's Christ who has taken hold of him and not the other way around. It's God who initiates this work of salvation. Verse 16 talks about what has already been attained or already been achieved. Christ has attained salvation for Paul and happily for us at the cross. So it's not down to us to try to work and achieve that salvation. That's already been done. The pressure is off. We do still need to respond in faith, but the work of the cross means that salvation is sure for everyone who trusts in Jesus, and the invitation is open to everyone. We are wanted by God, He's called us heavenward to Himself. So when we trust in God's saving work, we are forgiven, cleansed, justified. I like that, just as if I'd never sinned. We're justified. We are accepted and adopted. We mustn't lose sight of what God has already done, what's been done, because it determines who we are in the present we mustn't lose sight of what God has achieved in the past it defines who we are now so that's what's been done now let's think about what's begun in this passage Paul uses particular phrases when he's talking about how he's functioning in the present and those phrases are things like straining towards pressing on living up eagerly awaiting and there's a real sense of direction isn't there in what he's saying the way that he's speaking this isn't something passive we know that this isn't about him trying to achieve his salvation because we've already established that's being done paul's citizenship is already in heaven like he's got the passport and everything But these are all active phrases. In the present, Paul is looking forward to what's in the future. And I think he's doing that in two ways. Firstly, Paul talks about living up to. And I think what he means here is that when we place our faith in Christ, God gives us righteousness. So when he looks at us, when we're trusting in Christ, he Incredibly, mind blowingly, he sees us as having the same righteousness as Christ. So that's our gift of righteousness, right there. Amazing. When Paul talks about us living up to, it's trying to make our behaviour, our choices, to align with what we've already been given. So to be able to think and behave in a way which is consistent with the righteousness which is already ours so I think that's part of that active movement that Paul's talking about there's a sense within that process of us being gradually transformed as we um, walk hand in hand with Christ through life that he transforms us God transforms us to become more and more like Jesus so that's the transformation which has begun Secondly, I think in all of this active vocabulary, there's something else going on. Paul knows Jesus. He knows what he's like. He knows what Jesus has done for him. He treasures Christ. Remember, we've heard of verses like, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I consider everything a loss compared with the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Paul isn't passive in his love and desire for Jesus. He knows that one day he will see Jesus face to face, he'll dwell with him forever. And that's the longing of his heart. That's the longing of his heart. He wants what the future holds. And he's straining towards. He's pressing on, eagerly awaiting. He's longing and yearning for what's to come. And he wants to be ready. I I'm so sorry I'm going to use the C word. I love Christmas. But my favourite part of the church calendar is Advent. I love that idea of waiting, of longing, of preparing. I want to be able to use that time to prepare room for Jesus, to make my heart ready. We count down to Christmas with our Advent calendars because we're not there yet, but we're longing for what's ahead. Perhaps, as a child, you might have had a real felt sense of that waiting, that longing. And that's where we are now. We're not there yet, but we know there's something glorious ahead. We're in the what's begun phase, and we need to live in light of what's to come. In the present, we hold in one hand the truth of what's already been done and the hope of what's to come. We bridge the gap. And so let's move on to think about what's to come. Verse 20 tells us that what we are eagerly awaiting is the return of Jesus. Our citizenship is in heaven now. We're not striving towards that. That's already happened. But we await Christ from there. We're in this process of gradual transformation, but we're told that when Christ returns, there'll be a radical transformation, that he will transform our lowly bodies to become like his glorious body. Now maybe when you think about Christ's return what the image which is conjured up in your head is the street evangelist with the sandwich board that says the end is nigh and perhaps that evokes in us a bit of a cringy feeling we want to distance ourselves from that but I would say that thinking about the return of Christ is an important part of our Christian faith and in a moment, moment of either real courage or real stupidity I'm going to try to demonstrate why that is the case I need a few volunteers it'll be really helpful if at least two of them are quite tall don't all jump at once now <laughs> so that's two I need one more person come on I'll do my best not to. Say, well done. Thank you very much. Great. So, Jenny, can I start with you? Um, can I ask you to hold hold that um, and then tread on that? Wonderful. Maybe just with one foot. Just, yeah, that's it. Lovely. That's wonderful, okay. Uh, Mike, you might need to hold it a little bit higher. Can I ask you to hold those two points? Wonderful, I need to walk through it then. And Deji, I'm just asking you to, no, I need that one to come down a bit, wonderful. Can you? I ask you to mirror what Mike is doing there? Okay, so just with one hand, if you could just hold, but just that knot, just hold that knot. Lovely, okay, what shape have we got there, folks? We've got a heart, isn't it lovely? Um, now, that's, that's great and I'm, I'm kinda happy with that, except that now, I'm gonna do something in a minute I want you to hold on to that elastic because I don't want anyone to get pinged. So hold on tightly, <laughs> I'm risk assessing it now. I'm saying, hold on tight, we don't want anyone pinged. I'm happy-ish with that, with that picture of, um, of a heart Now, if we were to imagine that heart to be, say, the the story of the Bible, so perhaps, you know, we start from here with creation and we work all the way around, um, you know, the old covenant and things like that, we think about then Jesus being born, living, dying, rising again, ascending into heaven, and then if we think about this, I don't really like this knot here, I'm not happy with this, so I'm going to take this out of the picture. Right, what's happened? It's not a heart anymore. I've ruined it, have I ruined it? Okay, lovely. Great, thank you very much, folks. Will you give them a round of applause? Thank you. The point is, if we remove part of the story from the picture, it changes things. If we disregard the return of Jesus, God's heart towards us doesn't look quite right, because when we think about the return of Christ, we think about justice, we think about things being put right, we think about an end to suffering. So if we remove that from the picture, God's heart doesn't look quite right, and that's why we end up with all of these questions about suffering, Now, that's not to say that we should put all of our focus. If I were to say, the Christian story is all just about this, and that's Christ's heart, that doesn't look right either, does it? So it's not about placing all of our emphasis on it. It's not about trying to predict it. We don't need to get weirdy-beardy about it. But we do need to know that that's our hope. Jesus might never return while we're living on the earth. Lots of generations before, I'm sure, have thought, it's going to happen while I'm alive, and it hasn't happened yet. So we're not saying that this is definitely going to happen while we're walking the earth, but we do need to know what our ultimate hope is. Does that make sense? Uh, Tom Wright says about the second coming, we cannot relegate it To the margins of our thinking, our living, and our praying. If we do, we shall pull everything else out of shape. So we need to know what our future hope is. I read a story a while back about um, a Second World War female spy. And so she was about to be sent off um, into enemy territory. She'd been trained by and recruited and trained by a particular woman who also kind of waved her off as she went overseas. And as you might well imagine, life as a secret agent during the Second World War was particularly risky. So you were always looking over your shoulder. You never knew whether you could trust anyone. She probably would have seen a number of people arrested, tortured, killed. Highly, highly dangerous. At the end of the war, um, she was longing to get home, but she'd um, received a message to say she needed to await further instructions. And one day, this big, important car pulled up outside the cafe she was working in. And the woman from England, who had trained her, got out of the car, walked over to the agent and said, I've come to take you home. I've come to take you home. Imagine what relief. Imagine, after all of that struggle, to be taken to a place of joy, of love, of reunion. Life on Earth will hold struggles for us, and they might just be struggles with our own selfishness, our own self-seeking, but they may also be relational challenges, poverty, sickness, abuse, Injustice, prejudice, loss. And often when I listen to people suffering, I think, it's not supposed to be like this. And that's why Christ's return is so important. That's what we're eagerly awaiting. A time wrongs will be righted. Suffering will end. Jesus will return and take us home. And what a great day that will be. What's the direction of your inner life? What are you intentionally headed towards? And I think we do need to be intentional about this. Maybe we need to pray that God would help us. Perhaps we need to cry out to God to reset our inner satnav so that the longing of our heart is aligned to His will. Perhaps we need to ask Him that He would do a work in us so that we would be captivated afresh by His beauty he would set our hearts on fire with love for him the more we appreciate the gospel the love of god demonstrated for us at the cross god's love and compassion and mercy kindness and gentleness humility The more we understand the position he's given us in the present as accepted, forgiven, cleansed, adopted. The more we understand the hope that we have in the future that we will dwell with him forever. The more we appreciate all of that, the more I think we will desire Him, the more we'll be able to lay down lesser things. The less likely we'll be to go off on a tangent and take the wrong turning. The more we will strain towards, how could we not, when we understand the beauty of Christ, how could we not strain towards Him? To press on and eagerly await a time our eyes will behold Jesus, the answer to our heart's cry. We will behold him and be utterly satisfied. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much. For what you've done for us. We thank you for creating us with capacity to have relationship with you. We thank you for making a way at the cross so that we can know you. We thank you for the way you've worked individually in each of our lives, our own individual story as to how you have drawn us to yourself. We thank you that, that you've caused us to be forgiven and cleansed and restored. But Lord, now, we long for you to do a work afresh in us. Lord, would you help us to understand in new ways just how amazing you are? Would you give us a hunger to know you more deeply and a a keen anticipation that one day we will spend eternity with you. And would that be our hope and our delight? Lord, do that work in us. Transform us, we pray. Reset our inner satnav that we might long for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.